Hello and welcome to the InsureTech Australia podcast. My name is Vanessa Dobson and I'm one of several who co-founded InsureTech Australia a few years ago. Today we have two guests, the co-founders of Upcover, Sky Theodoru and Anish Sinha. Come listen in and hear about why the ability to overcome obstacles is such an essential quality in this InsureTech journey. So hello, Sky and Anish. It is great to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting us, Vanessa. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having us, Vanessa. It's very cool, and I know it's been a few months in the making, and things have been very hectic at your end. Uh, so, look, let's jump into your story, the story of Upcover and your team. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the the problem or the problems that you are aiming to solve through Upcover? Sure. So Upcover started out two years ago, really. Um, Anisha and I met through a startup generator called Antler. And um, I'm a very passionate insurance geek for people that don't know me and have worked at Zurich Insurance and in government, always focused on small businesses and insurance and risk. Um, and I really wanted to start my own thing and find a co-founder that was incredibly passionate but also had a lot of experience in scaling um, e-commerce businesses, so not in the insurance space. Um, and we really quickly landed on an opportunity around, um, you know, you know, things that were very much um, on topic in the insurtech space, which is around the gig economy. And over the past two years, we've been building out and looking at how we scale a number of platforms. Um, and the first of that was focused on building a very innovative product for the food delivery workforce, um, which I think maybe a niche. You can kind of add to that, I think. Yeah, thanks, Kai. Um, so it was absolutely incredible to meet Sky at the Answer program. She's a domain expert. And I joined the program because I felt I had skills to bring a product to market. Um, I've had experience in India scaling startups from 1 million to 10 million users, leading product and ops teams. Uh, but I missed the domain knowledge that's required to bring that inside I product side. So um, I reckon we started with the food delivery market because that was accessible to us. We could go out on the streets, speak with food delivery riders, and we took a really bottoms-up approach to building an insurance product, uh, which is Australia's first pay-as-we-go blended personalized and commercial lines offering. Um, and I guess the, the unique insight there that we got was we did everything from scratch, whether it was building the actuarial models to price risk, uh, going to the underwriters, understanding how the product had to be structured, um, right to building the tech platform and getting it out to the customers, getting their feedback, flowing that into the product. And then, um, yeah, just it's been a phenomenal journey so far. Yeah. I I follow on with that, Anita, it's a really good point. So, you know, we started out, we were really ambitious. For those of us that partnered with us and worked with us really closely, we were really, really eager to transform insurance and deliver, like, truly blended pay-as-you-go insurance uh, to the Australian workforce and small businesses and gig economy workers. Um, we did start out with food delivery. The intention was to kind of build out a bespoke product, which would prove our proof of concept. Um, and we did that. We sourced an insurance partner. We spoke to about 14 different potential partners. You know, we, we pitched even to Lloyd's syndicates at some point. Um, 
And, you know, everything from the actuarial models that we were building had to be vetted by other actuaries that were head actuaries of certain insurers, you know, so lots and lots of groundwork in getting this product up and ready. I mean, because thinking about complexity of it, we were looking at an asset-based product that was, you know, 24-7. It was personal use as well as commercial use, um, as well as public liability insurance, which was, you know, available when they were working and also, you know, on the way home as well as um, as they get to work. And then finally, um, accident and health um, insurance, which gave them some form of loss of income protection. So kind of building a product like that, that was unitary, like it was priced per delivery. Um, you know, the long, the long game was always thinking about how we could actually build this product and embed it with a partner. And I think that was really where the lessons were. We were built a D to C as well as a B2B type model. And we did have one partner um, that we that we launched with. Um, and that was where we actually saw a lot of success and a lot of lessons learned. Um, probably I'd say the first one of that is maybe don't be so ambitious. <laughs> don't start out changing the entire insurance life cycle. Um, really start out in, you know, probably differentiating or innovating in one or two spaces. And these are the things where we feel that we can actually provide the key difference. So, you know, now we look at insurance partners and we say, look, we love it. I, I love insurance and I love the industry. Um, but they are the technicians, our insurance partners. So, you know, they will give us the product and they'll give us the pricing models. And what we do is we deliver the distribution and the technology. Um, and that's really what we've been focusing on is how can we actually provide novel ways to distribute insurance products? And then also expanding beyond just the gig economy to the entire SME um, kind of spectrum. So 2.1 million businesses, 97.5% of them are SMEs. Um, and I think it's a very hot part of the market now, but for many, many years, you know, corporate was the bee's knees. So I am very glad that this segment is getting a lot more attention, that it's absolutely worth. Um, and I think that, you know, it's time for them to be, provided a very different level of service that they might typically be used to. Absolutely. And uh, what a target market to uh, focus on. And to your earlier point, there's certainly a lot of areas within the insurance landscape that can uh, can do with some overhaul or attention uh, or improvement. So um, I, I dig the ambition uh, to, to go for it everywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now that you've kind of sounds like you're perhaps refining your approach though in terms of from going from everything to perhaps a, a more tailored approach you mentioned earlier about partnerships and obviously you, you have some key partnerships in place already uh, and many who are listening to this understand the importance of those relationships right They're, they can be quite key so for Upcover what has building those relationships looked like and what type of qualities do you look for when you're considering partnering? Well, I think we've had a really wonderful advisor and one of our earliest investors and supporters gave us a really, really great tidbit of advice. And Anish, you please correct me if I'm <laughs> misquoting. But there's three things that an insured tech really needs. And this is how it was kind of explained to us. Um, and it's very, very true. Um, we need customers, we need capacity, and we need capital. Um, I guess it changes depending on whether or not you decide to be a bootstrapped business or not. And we made the unique decision to 
look for investors um, quite early on in our journey. Hence, you know, I mean, kind of part of the whole experience of the Antler programs to begin with. So it's kind of what happens. Mm. Um, but those are the three things that you kind of need to think about when you're thinking about partnerships. Two of those are really critical to partners. Um, and customers itself can be B2B as well as direct to consumers. And just thinking about distribution and how you access customers, can you can think about a whole bunch of different partnerships or programs that you could uh, think about how you reach out to and access those customers as well. So going back to origins, though, capacity is the number one thing. I mean, it really rules all. Um, and using, using networks and introductions, to um, open conversations. You know, I think InsureTech Australia itself is a great way to leverage, um, you know, introductions and to get exposure to potential partners, as well as, I would say, the InsureTech Gateway program. You know, I think that they're also a really great place to start. Um, And then your own networks, because people in the insurance industry um, tends to know other people in the insurance industry and it is it is very close-knit. So, um, you know, looking for people that, you know, you know and trust and that get excited by the opportunity, that's probably really key. But also being very careful in how you structure and craft the story because you are not selling an investment story, really. You're, you're really talking about um, a risk a risk story and and how um, you know distribution combined with whatever the insure tech is kind of building can really deliver value for the capacity provider. So it's a blended thing, and, and all parties in the mix have to be getting value. So yeah, it's 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 really I think it's been really integral for us to understand that um, to be able to be successful with insurance partners. And each of you have yeah, I just say, like, as Guy said, there's capital and there's capacity and there are customers. Um, and underlying all of these relationships is trust. I mean, the entire insurance industry is based on trust. The fact that we will come through when there is a crisis or when there's a customer who needs to make a claim. Um, and ultimately, trust is the underlying currency that helps get the wheel, the flywheel going. And that's what it was for Upcover as well. We were able to get our first investors on board who trusted us to go all the way and and you know we've come apart we've come far we've, we've almost journeyed 24 months having built and launched product um, then there were capacity providers who had conversations and full trust in us and then they trusted us with their balance sheet uh, to launch an innovative product in the market that we ultimately sold to customers customers bought from us um, uh, a product that was priced at less as less as a dollar a day and these are food delivery riders who speak Mandarin, who don't understand English, and they were buying the product on trust, uh, that if there was a claim, that Apka would pay that claim. So um, I feel that the trust is the most important currency, more so for early stage startups, because everything is storytelling in the beginning. Um, and, and people need to have a belief that, that this small company will deliver, even if the partner on the other side is, is a giant or an 800 pound gorilla. Like it, it, it's all uh, based on how much uh, the stakeholders trust each other. Yeah, yeah. I would just kind of like, I totally agree. And it's completely right. You know, any payment in claims by our insurance partner, you know, it's all based 
on trust, everything, even, you know, getting the opportunity to be able to actually speak to someone about, you know, partnership is, is someone taking a chance. And I'd also say in the current environment for, uh, you know, considering the Royal Commission, you know, the not-so-new GI, COP, creative practice, um, there's a lot of change and a lot of increased regulation in this space. So appetite for some insurance partners is something that I think a lot of aspiring insurtechs or aspiring insurtech entrepreneurs should be considering too because not everyone is interested in delving into this very innovative space. And what I would say is um, you should be really conscious, like everyone and us in particular, about the lessons that you need to take in, in fronting a product, in being a distributor or an authorised rep or, or having your own AFSL, um, of the need to have very robust compliance to ensure that you're completely, completely watertight um, because you are making representations on behalf of another's balance sheet. Yeah, so I think that that's all very key to getting and securing an insurance partner. Yeah, excellent points and really insightful about the this being more about a risk story than an investment story when speaking to, uh, you know, capital or capacity providers. I think that's that's quite a, an interesting take on that. Uh, and Anisha, I loved what you were saying about trust um, being the most important currency really in, in this whole scheme of things, this whole landscape. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah, and, and I'll just add one more point there. One of our advisors likes to say that the cost of, doing an insurance business, the cost of goods sold in an, in an insurance business is always in the future. So you cannot measure the business by the, the volumes in premium because ultimately the, the quality of the risk is only going to be, the quality of risk underwritten is only going to be determined in the future, which means that the balance sheet places massive massive trust on the distributor to do the right thing, to, to, to go out to the right audience. Um, and I, I reckon that's, that's an obligation, and that's the that's the it, it, from a compliance standpoint, but also from a from a relationship standpoint with the balance sheet for the startups to follow through on. Yeah, uh, so I'd I'd be completely upfront in saying that we've learned a lot in ensuring that you know <clears throat> you know we had a, a two week testing sprint. This is how realistic and real I can be with <laughs> with this example. And Anisha knows me as someone that I I am completely into compliance. And I love building templates and, you know, document generation to ensure customer interactions are recorded. I, I froth at manuals. Like I am a total insurance geek. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's still surprising even to me um, and still someone that's quite early on in their insurance journey um, and career. But we have spent now 12 weeks testing our platform. Um, before you know relaunching and that's you know much more much bigger than we initially anticipated but we don't regret it in the slightest because you know to relaunch in the market and have something that's really robust um, that's the most important thing. That's uh, hugely surprising but great to hear that you're completely into compliance. Uh, I don't you know come across many who would say that everyone appreciates how important it is um, they don't think it's at the sexy end of you know what they want to be doing uh, but you know this is this probably will st stand you in great stead in terms of that preparation because it is so fundamental and so critical uh, to getting out there and and doing things right I, I, I honestly think 
to some of the conversations we had with some very major uh, potential capacity providers for us, no, there was at some point there was only a willingness to have a conversation because you know I had had a background in compliance and and risk and I'm legally trained. Um, but that having said that, building and launching your own product is very different to working inside a large and global insurance company. So um, we still have a lot of lessons to learn and. and you know, we've absolutely learned a ton in a very short period of time. And we are really, really eager to kind of um, double down, you know, our new insurance partner we're really, really proud of, and that's ProRisk. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, you know, Australian Underwriter of the Year for last year, award-winning claims team. Um, they have been incredible supporters, um, and we take it really seriously that they've, decided to, to, to back a, um, a, another distributor like us. Fantastic. And uh, you've shared some great advice, you know, those three key points that you'd uh, received from a, a mentor or advisor earlier on and uh, alluded to a number of lessons that you've learned there. In terms of that capital raising piece, um, what have you found most surprising in that piece of your journey to date? Oh, I think we both, and she and I would both have had different lessons. I, I'd say one of mine would be that there are choices. And one choice that we made early on, which has really defined our journey, is that we are completely um, not bootstrapped. Um, and that's a choice that you have to make. Um, going out and raising venture funded capital which is what we've done, is a pretty serious thing and it, it does give you a bit of a critical pathway or a bit of pressure. Um, so you have to be ready for it. Um, the second thing I think I've learned is there is a reluctance or a bit of a, it is a bit um, daunting, but you know some really great advice that we both got early on was raise from multiple options, like always have multiple options. Um, and that means raising from friends and family, like people within your own network is what I mean, not necessarily friends and family. You really want to aim for a sophisticated investor if you can, and you can Google what that means for those that um, are foraying into uh, venture capital for the first time. Um, and, you know, as well as kind of speaking to others that might have gone through the journey themselves about how to actually um, build around um, and then, you know, Anisha, you've taught me um, how to think about runway and, and burn rates and forecast a little bit and make sure that we're managing dilution. I mean, that's a whole other very important topic if you are raising early um, or raising at all, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'd add to that and say that typically for venture back startups, um, your runway is your product market fit. Uh, so the more capital you have in the bank, especially with an in- insurance business where things take time to come through, um, and it's not like a software or, or SaaS-based business where you could probably launch on product hunt mm. and start getting rapid user feedback and iterate on, on the basis of that. That is the process that has to be followed. So having that capital is cushion that helps your business um, build, continue to build and continue to create um uh, continue to have make those relationships and partnerships stronger, which are essential and absolute backbone. 
which also then becomes a mode. So I guess it, it, it isn't really an advice, but I would say that insurtechs are unique businesses in the sense that they are different to most businesses because the longer they live, the stronger the moat becomes because they would have fostered on creating those partnerships. They would have been able to storytell um, and I guess raise capital. If they've been able to bootstrap, then nothing like it. Uh, but even capital raising in a situation where you cannot launch a product, mm. where you're waiting on capacity or you're waiting on compliance sign-off with the insurance partner uh, puts you in a unique position. And 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 I guess that that uh, demonstrates itself in the rich multiples that US-based or UK-based insurtechs uh, command when they go out and raise venture capital. Um, Hopefully now with Australian yeah. uh, venture-based Australian insurtechs now with Yes. and Richard Joff leading the helm. They've done an incredible thing to bring, I think, and put InsurTech very firmly on the map as a very exciting space straight after FinTech now. Um, and, yeah, I'm very excited to see what Honey Insurance does. Yeah, it's incredible what they've achieved. I mean, it sets, uh, it sets, sets such an impressive precedent for other founders going out in the market raising capital. Uh, because the question that often gets asked to early stage businesses is how do you justify evaluation? It is all a story in the beginning. And all valuation uh, is premised on how comfortable a founder is diluting themselves. Um, and, and considering founders want to drive the business, they would want to hold a significant stake in the business. So the valuation has to be what it is because it is all based on a promise to come through um, and being able to build the business. Uh, and, and Rich has done absolutely incredible in being able to raise that kind of capital mm. and, and, and set a precedent for all of the founders. Hopefully, we all can follow through on that. Yeah, and I think I'd, I'd also add two more things that we've kind of learned. One is the power of building a brain's trust, which is what I very, um, you know, people in our cap table would know that that's what I call our cap table. <laughs> and I also call our advisory board our brains trust as well. Um, they're incredible, absolutely incredible, everyone. We've been able to be supported by and have people follow us on our journey from a very early stage, and they're all incredible experts in the insurance space, um, whether overseas or in Australia, whether, you know, an actuary in the past or someone that's a CEO of a insurance company or reinsurer, we have been very, very fortunate. Um, and I would say that that really adds to, you know, the experience that you that you end up having as a as an insure tech. Um, other angel investors not from the space may not fully grasp how powerful that is, but I think it's absolutely been extraordinary for us as people that we can leverage, you know, people that then become, you know, cheerleaders of Upcover's business and kind of become huge supporters of us as well. Um, and then I would say, you know, the other thing is so strategic investors, I think, has been really key. And then the other thing is also, you know, if you are raising venture-rounded or venture-funded capital um, and thinking about it, there's a few things you need to think about. And we get asked, Anish and I get asked about a lot from people that are wanting to get into this, but how do you do it? Do you go to venture funds? Do you go to um, the balance sheet providers themselves? Because some of them have their own, um, you know, venture funds attached to their companies. 
um, or do you go to angel investors or strategic um, angel investors? Um, we've found if you're very early on in your journey and pre-revenue, strategic angels and angel investors are, are very key. But that, having said that, you definitely should still be speaking with all the venture funds. Never say no to a coffee, people say. Um, and I think that that's been a really key part to our journey. So how do you do that if you're raising from angels? you would possibly raise on what is called a safe instrument or a convertible note. Um, and that's something to kind of really think about or Google later potentially. Um, but then also I'd say one other key thing for insurtechs, if you are raising money is to consider something that we think is really key to our business, which is we absolutely want to be driving and for value and for profit very soon or, or you know, uh, have a view and a vision to profitability. Um, this isn't a tech-based business or industry, I think, where you were rewarded significantly, unless you're Lemonade, <laughs> um, for doing consistent and constant rounds of money, of, of funding, and um, never really getting to a break-even point. So I think being cognizant of everyone that's in your value chain and ensuring that everyone is getting and generating value is, is also key. And one point I'd like to make uh, with regards to speaking with investors, and this is something that help, can help uh, insurtech founders communicate why their businesses were more valuable potentially in the future than another, is purely because of the lifetime value of customers and the low churn rate that um, that insurtech businesses experience when they sell a policy. Uh, most e-commerce businesses um, face the double whammy of having a high customer churn and low transaction value. And that ultimately leads to low lifetime value for a customer, which then means that if their spends, customer acquisition costs are really high, then the model just doesn't balance out. The unit economics don't hold up. Uh, that's unique to insurtechs because they are annuity-based businesses. So long lifetime values, high ticket sizes, low churn. It's the perfect subscription business model that could be there. If you look at Netflix, they charge $5 a month at $60 a year for a customer. If you look at insurtechs, I mean, a, a typical ticket size for, a, for premiums is much more, is multiples of that, and the lifetimes are higher. So I think that there are there are ways to to tell the story and to flip the coin and say why these businesses are superior in the value that they would create ultimately for their investors and shareholders. Mm. And I think uh, that's something that should be emphasized by founders. The you the you. Fortunately, in the U.S. and U.K. and the funds that we've spoken to, there are specialist insurtech funds that understand these um, and apply these concepts in valuing early stage businesses, even if they're pre-revenue. And I guess that trend is starting in Australia. So it's very positive to see that happening with some of the funds that we've spoken to as well. Oh, great advice, Anish. And I'm also wondering, where did you get this Netflix account where you only pay $5 a month? <laughs> I've got an India based account. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> of course you do. Um, okay, and I also have one other piece of advice for founders, um, and I don't think it's gender specific. I think it's for anyone that is in a business where you might typically be asked any kind of critically based question. And I think in the insurance space, you're very likely to face most of your questioning in that kind of realm if you are looking to raise capital. Um, but if you're a minority or anything, or if you've even if you've even just never done it before, I mean, that still makes you um, enough of a starter-outer. 
um, regardless of who you are or where you come from. And um, there's an amazing TED talk by a woman called Dana Kane, and she talks about how to flip the conversation when you're asked predominantly uh, critically based questions, which is, you know, how can you win when there are so many things against you fundamentally, which in an insurtech and a regulated industry, there is plenty. Um, so how can you flip those kinds of questions? Um, you know, the fact that you need, you know, a couple of years to get off the ground and, and get running. Um, how can you flip those types of questions to things that actually talk about the opportunity mm. and and how it's actually for value? And Anish kind of was hinting at that. You could hear, hear the way he's talking about how he's flipped the insurtech space into a massive opportunity by by the lens that he brings of, of e-commerce. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's a pretty incredible thing. And, and I think it's been something, flipping those types of questions and conversations is really, really key, I think, as well. Yeah, and wow, there was, there was a lot of advice packed into the last few minutes. <laughs> I'm really super impressed. But some really great practical and pragmatic guidance there. And I loved what you said, Anish, about the, the recognising or articulating the lifetime value um, knowing that there are some insurtech specialised kind of funds or investors out there now, um, I think will hopefully make those conversations a little easier because the language is more common. Um, but I can see why, and, and having spoken to a number of other founders, why there is that challenge usually in terms of uh, describing value in this world. Um, and look, um, Sky will have to put a link to that uh that TED talk um, from, did you say it was Dana Kane? Yes, Dana Kane. Yeah. I'm, I'll share it with you offline. <laughs> it's great. That sounds great. And look, um, critically based questions. We're working in an industry where there are a lot of um, technical experts with deep expertise in their fields. And you think of any conversation with an actuary, for example, um, all the questions are critically based questions, right? So uh, we need to be prepared for that. Uh, so great advice. Thank you. Uh, now, you, you mentioned earlier about the, uh, uh, I guess you touched on the broader upcover team in terms of your advisory board and your brains trust and things. Uh, in terms of building uh, the kind of core upcover team, how, how has that worked and what are some of the qualities you look for as you, as you bring people into the, into the tent, so to speak? It starts with one, I would say. So you... And it's interesting because there's a, there are some single founders out there as well. Um, but but if you can really compel someone to join you on your journey as a co-founder, and you can you know derive the value of that by sharing equity or some equity um, for an investment in human capital is how it's described to me um, when Anish and I were first meeting and having our earliest discussions. That is the first step and critical step to building your team. Um, and there's a, some really key things to how Anish and I considered how we would work together and if we were a great fit. And key to that was we're 100% complementary. <laughs> it's like a marriage, right? So um, it's probably fortunate that Anish is ready to dive right in and we were pretty much strangers when we met. So very, very rare for a, a co-founding relationship but um, very aligned in values, in the vision that we wanted out of a company that we wanted to build together. In the exit 
kind of strategies that we were thinking about as well. All of these things were kind of covered um, in our earliest conversations. We didn't shy from any topic, um, as well as thinking about our skill sets and where our gaps were. Um, and I have to say, two years ago, and never having been a founder before and from a corporate and government background, I had plenty of gaps and a lot to learn. Um, but that kind of helped us shape and, and decide what our roles would be um, what our roles and responsibilities would be, but how we would work together. And then I think, Anish, you've built out the incredible A-team that we have. So I think I will leave it to you to answer the rest of that. Yeah, so thanks, Guy. I, I think you made, made, made all good points. So, Vanessa, I'd like to say that um, Sky and I are both from culturally different backgrounds, but there's an underlying similarity in the sense that, and, and we figured that out very early on when we had hard conversations, asked our questions to ourselves. Uh, that helped us to converge on why we wanted to build up cover. Uh, and so I would say that in terms of building the team, I reckon while Sky's mentioned all the points, um, I just say that when we interview people and we speak with them and we look to them to, to bring them on board, it's a very slow and deliberate process. Uh, to give you an example, uh, when we were bringing our CTO on board, I ended up doing about 84 or 85 interviews with different engineers. Uh, because when you're adding somebody as core as a CTO or an early stage uh, business person to your team, you want to make sure that you're absolutely certain about the outcomes that they will drive. Uh, and so the principle that that I typically follow when when having those first chats, and they're not technical chats, they're they're culture chats about you know what drives them, why do they do what they do, is I look for their ability to overcome obstacles or or grit. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, if you look at their resume, uh, that's a document of wins. That's an outcomes document. It doesn't tell you about the inputs. Uh, it doesn't tell you about how the person, you know, why, why they took the decisions they took, what obstacles they faced. Uh, and so that, that helps me tell a story to myself, but then as well the story that, that, the story that they tell themselves about why they're worth it. Um, so that's one. And then the second principle that we've typically employed in, in getting people on board is always hire for attitude and train for skill. Um, and so looking for, you know, their, their ability to be resourceful or curiosity or eagerness. I think there are no substitutes to, uh, to those uh, traits and, and anything can be learned if you start from there. And one of the examples of that is we hired somebody who was in their final undergrad year at college as a mobile engineer. And they absolutely killed it. Like that person worked pretty much like a full-time software engineer. We've got a team now of about six engineers outside Sky and myself and one marketing hire. So we've, we've built the team very deliberately, slowly, um, and every single person proves their worth and they know what they've been hired for. And they're an absolute sniper. And the reason I did say they're an absolute sniper because they've been hired to hit a target. And and they they are they are hired to hit a target. They are they are missionaries. They are they they are not mercenaries, by the way. So they believe in the mission. So uh, all of those things combined, I think, uh, very very proud of the team that we built and the culture that we built. And I think that's something that will make us stand out as as we grow as a company. This is you know this is a this is a long term project for us where where we will continue to build and get great people on board whether it's employees advisors investors and we want to be absolutely deliberate about who who gets on the journey with us mm. oh anish i love that i would also say interestingly our team is 100 percent distributed 
So COVID hasn't impacted us uh, very much at all. Um, we have team members that, you know, the, the leadership team, all three of us come from different backgrounds. I'm born in Australia, but my, my ethnicity and my culture, my, my, my dad is from Greece. Uh, Anish is, is from India. And, and Anish, did you want to say quickly how you arrived? Yeah, so I'd be traveling to Australia um, every couple of months. My wife, to be wife, was based in Sydney. So I'd be flying India, Australia, and thank God I moved to Australia before COVID. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to do the flights. And it was a, it was a two-year process. Um, yeah, and so, so I'm, I'm born in India. Our CTO was born in Lahore, in Pakistan. Uh, we've got a distributed team that has people who have nationalities in Kazakhstan, Nigeria, India. We've worked with previously with people who were Italian, Chilean, uh, people who've been a part of the team. So I think diversity is, is, is core as well because it helps bring out the different viewpoints and helps us stand out as a, as a culture. And I reckon uh, that's something that I noticed about Australia as well. There are so many countries, people from so many countries. There's an immigrant nation. Yes. Um, and a startup should ultimately be a representation of the best of that country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that's been really interesting and really key to how we build out the team. I think like one challenge we have, and I think a lot of other companies and even early stage startups might have in, in working with an early stage business, but then also an early stage kind of company that's fully distributed is how do you engage your team? A lot of our team members are quite young. And I think many insure tech Australia members would probably be facing this with a lot of their team members, but COVID has really had an impact on many people's mental health and, you know, Sydney and everyone in lockdown right now, you know, that is tough. Um, uh, but there are people in India and Pakistan that have been experiencing this for many months. And of course, you know, we were very sympathetic to people in Melbourne when they went through a 12 week lockdown. So um, I think being really cognizant of those things and also touching base, being quite human, um, even though we are all on Zoom calls and, you know, Teams calls and interacting very differently. Um, I think that being, you know, quite empathetic about those things has been really important as well to, to making sure that we retain an incredible team that's distributed. I think because engineering talent, as far as I hear it, is getting harder and harder to retain in Australia, so even harder and harder to retain globally. Um, so we really want to retain the talent we have um, and the A team that. Anisha's worked so hard to create. Uh, that sounds like a wonderful team and, and great to hear of that uh, diversity of uh, backgrounds and uh, ethnicities and all of those different experiences coming together uh, to create what, what you're building. And as you were speaking, Anisha, obviously there's still that thread of belief throughout that story, right, that people have come on. They obviously believe in what what you guys have proposed to them and now they've, they've made that their own and, and have have stayed on. So um, fantastic to hear. Um, and in terms of where you imagined Upcover could be, I know you're only a couple of years in, you've um, mentioned earlier that there's been some uh, kind of refining of approach. Um, is it where you imagined it could be? I would say uh, storytelling is really what all you have in the very beginning. Um, and 
our story was hard. Like the story of an insurtech and explaining that day in, day out is tough. Um, so I remember just Anish and I having con- like very private conversations like at 11 or midnight after a really long day. And it's not like we were like, okay, we're not like the typical startup where we do this every single day, but we've been doing it a bit occasionally. And you have those heart-to-heart moments. And I think the one thing I've found sometimes is our story was really hard in the, in the beginning. And I'm really impressed and um, just pinch myself with how incredibly far we've been able to come in such a short period of time. Um, the refinement that you mentioned, Vanessa, um, we've been able to achieve just an extraordinary amount of work in four months. Um, the new platform um, that we'll be launching in a few weeks is is impressive and has been impressing, um, you know, a number of our um, earliest supporters, but as well um, our new insurance partner. So, you know, it is it is really exciting to see how far we've come. Um, you know, building three platforms in a year and a half and launching, um, you know, a couple of insurance products um, in the Australian market is is a lot of work and none of it is possible without the incredible work that all of our team have been putting in and some of our very, very earliest team members. So, um, yeah, I would say, like, it's a roller coaster. It really is. And there are moments where you think, wow, uh, is this the end of the ride? Um, but I'd say don't give up easily and um, you can ride it out. And, um, yeah, I would never imagine we'd be in such a strong position as we are today. So I'm very, very excited. Yeah, I, I just add to that. I mean, guys, all, all, all the awesome points that Sky has mentioned, that we've built a lot of resilience in our DNA as a company. Uh, in the journey that we've had over the last 24 months. Mm-hmm. And like they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, I think, um, again, flipping it, insurtechs have an incredibly hard journey because they have to overcome a lot of obstacles mm-hmm. to get to where they are if they have to start selling. Especially if if you're a founder um, who's not who's not got um, massive backing and has to raise capital, capacity, customers, everything from ground up. Um, you should also look at it as a mode, mm. a mode that other businesses that will find they will have to overcome the same obstacles to get there. And so um, every obstacle kind of adds as um, strengthens you as a company. And if you can overcome, continue to overcome them, uh, then it just means you are in a in a better place and then a better position to to be able to outsell and build a great business. Diversity builds uh, up obstacles or adversities build best companies. I mean, anybody who's who's looked at the likes of Uber and Airbnb and all, all all these great businesses get founded in depression and they go through. They were founded in in the recession and they and they had and they saw such times that they were able to have that institutional memory uh, to know how to navigate uh, their budgets, their balance sheets, how to run their business in good times. Yes. Excellent point. And I'm really encouraged to hear that. Certainly, or even 12 months ago, you might recall there was, uh, well, lots of uncertainty, of course, but also quite a bit of negativity. And it seemed that uh, a number in our industry were, you know, 
um, closing the hatches, if you like, and, and kind of burrowing down uh, to try to ride things out, whereas others were seeking the opportunity that was being afforded by the adversity. Uh, and many have come through, but I think that might be a, a, a delineation in the months to come uh, between those who are working on strengthening their moat, as you've suggested, Anish, and those who have thought, no, we'll just uh, close all the close all the shutters and uh, focus on on what we do internally. Uh, look, this has been a fantastic discussion. I thought we could wrap it up by um, asking each of you uh, around what you have been most grateful for uh, during this evolution of Upcover to date. Uh, I would I would say that's a great question and something that when you're really in the trenches, you can kind of forget about. But it's really the people um, that have been supporting the journey, you know, like, like having an idea, um, you know, by yourself and prototyping and registering a business or taking those first early steps, you know, it's very different from executing and building the real thing. And I'd say the startup ecosystem and particularly the insure tech space and the insurance industry, uh, it's been incredible. Um, having the ability to be able to find someone like Anish is stupendous. And our CTO, Sajad, who Anish has mentioned, is an absolute unicorn. So I'm just really grateful for the people that are investing their time and energy in Upcover and and the vision. You know, even if it is refined occasionally from time to time, and, you know, it is a time, I think, Vanessa, you hinted at, where there is a great amount of change in Australia from a regulatory and compliance perspective and from capacity and appetite changes and shifts. And it's, it is a hard market right now in the SME space and, and even in corporate space, particularly financial lines, business interruption. I mean, the list is, it's, it's a hard, hard time. It's catastrophes, it's everything. So insurance is really changing. Um, but I, I think, yeah, it's, it's great to be in the trenches with people like Anish who see the opportunity in that. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. I would echo Sky's sentiments completely. Like it's all about the people. And I I personally am really grateful for having found Sky as a co-founder. Um, it's pure chance, Vanessa. Um, I landed in Australia in 2019, Jan. Um, I've got a lot of people I know, but essentially, uh, you know, building a company requires network, building a regulated business in the insurance industry where I was probably just coming to terms with with term, with with how the industry functions, it it was great to be able to walk the journey with Sky and to be able to um, get uh, an incredible um, group of people backing us. Uh, and and whether it was investors, whether it was insurers, um, all the people who joined us uh, in the journey, even people who are a part of Upcover. Uh, and spend hours and days building the platform and helping us uh, bring this product to market. I mean, it's just just very grateful for for all round support. And I would mention our partners as well. I mean, I know Sky would say that as well. Yeah. Uh, both our partners see us working late nights, um, and and they've they've seen us how how we. I would say that there's been a little there's been a struggle to build up covered and to get it to where it is today and. Very grateful to them as to both of to both of them. Yeah, people in your in your life in your in your off time and downtime that's been really important. 
Yeah. And then, and then as well, um, our insurance partner, none of this happens without capacity. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you both so very much. That's uh, This has been a fantastic conversation and you've been very open in sharing your respective journey here. Thank you. Uh, and look, I wish you all the best uh, for the launch coming up in a few weeks' time and I'm confident that we're going to see some more very positive press and outcomes from the Upcover team. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for inviting us. Um, great to be part of the podcast. Thank you, Vanessa, for having us. From all the team at InsureTech Australia, thank you for joining our conversation today. We have yet another interesting guest sharing with us next month. Catch you then.